Welcome to The Afterglow. The Afterglow podcast gives women, we're talking to you, the permission and tools to live life according to your own rules. Yes, this is a platform to educate and empower women identifying humans through intriguing conversations with courageous Canadian women who are breaking down limiting beliefs and outdated rules. These women have done it, are doing it, or can provide tools for you to do the same. We are Julie Watson and Liz Doyle-Harmer. And we started Afterglow, our yoga studio, after years of staying home to raise kids. Now, as podcasters, we want to help others do the same. Step into your own power. It's time to shake things up and get real about who you are and what you want. The Afterglow is your next act. It's what came after you did what you were told and instead decided to do what was in your heart. It's how you have reinvented yourself. It's your vision for the next 40 to 50 years. It's when you took your power back. I'm not even sure if you have all heard about the Richards Group uh, real estate agency located in the beaches of Toronto. And they service the beaches, but they also service all over Toronto and beyond. And one of the reasons I want to bring it up is because, A, not only are they sponsoring this episode, but... I also want to bring it up because I've worked with them numerous times and I really want to emphasize what an incredible all-round company, business, family that they are and so incredible to work with in all of your moving needs, whether you're buying or selling your home. They have specialization in design. They are experts in the market and they will cater to whatever it is that you are looking for, whether to buy or to sell. So have a look at them. Their website is InsideTorontoRealEstate.com. Welcome to the Afterglow. This episode is full of inspiration, especially for those of us finding ourselves a little later in life. Today, we have Minister Audrey Gordon on the show. Minister Audrey Gordon was elected as the MLA Minister for the Legislative Assembly for Southdale on September 10th, 2019. She is the first ever black MLA to be sworn in during the 42nd general election in Manitoba. Since January 5th, 2021, she has served as Minister of Mental Health, Wellness and Recovery. Prior to her role as MLA, she served as Director of Strategic Initiatives with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority's Home Care Program. Over the course of her career with the WRHA, Minister Gordon has successfully implemented numerous projects ranging from child health to long-term care, which improved the delivery of health care services in the region. Prior to joining the WRHA, she worked for the Manitoba government for 25 years. From coaching mini soccer to serving on several health and long-term care organizational boards to volunteering with Siloam Mission and the Arthur Morrow Center for Peace and Justice, Minister Gordon is committed to building capacity in communities through volunteerism. She is married and is the mother of two sons. She is proud to be Southdale's voice as part of a strong, united PC team that is working hard to build a stronger and more vibrant Manitoba. Welcome to the Afterglow, Minister Audrey Gordon. Well, we're excited and keen to have you here. You know, we've been digging in a little bit to your story and um, we'd love to just start from the beginning, you know, okay. go back and we're cu curious about, um, you know, your transition into Canada as a five-year-old coming mm -hmm. as a new immigrant from Jamaica. Take us way back there. What was that like? 
Well, thank you. So first, so very much for the opportunity to be on your podcast today. I, I think it's, it's I've, I've been reading a little bit into how you created this and, and your in, intentions. And I, I just want to say that I'm very inspired by, by what you've done. And thank you so much for creating this space uh, forum for, for women to gather and encourage and motivate each other. Oh, thank you. So, like yeah. So thank you for the question. So the, the little I can remember about coming to, to Canada was arriving at the Winnipeg, at the time it was named the Winnipeg International Airport and seeing little white specks of something falling from the sky. And uh, because I was raised uh, by a Christian mother and, and went to Sunday school and, and, and um, heard the story about manna falling from heaven, I can remember sticking out my tongue and thinking, this is manna, <laughs> and, and finding that it, it melted, you know. So um, my early years here were, um, I would say, tumultuous because I, I, I it, it was hard, even though I was little, I remember how hard it was to settle in, in school, I always felt different always felt um, like an outcast, no, not this strong sense of belonging and uh, just just trying to fit in. And I can remember having to go through a lot of different uh, like uh, grammar tests and math tests to determine my placement. Mm -hmm. and, it, and now when I look back, it was this sense of my placement in the world, not just in terms of classroom, but just in the world. So even though I was young uh, when I came, little, um, it really formed a significant part of my early development, that sense of you don't belong. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I, 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 uh, I got older that I realized that that early sense of not belonging was realizing that I was no longer at a place where the majority of the people were Black. Mm -hmm. I was now a minority mm -hmm. and that hearing the N word and not quite knowing what does that mean? And, and some of the bullying in the, in the cloakroom and, and, you know, some of this is just natural for, for little kids, but just remembering back to some of those experiences, I think it really shaped my early development to the point where very later on in, my adulthood it was still impacting me in terms of my ability to believe in myself and, mm -hmm. and my potential. So, you know, very much love living in Canada. I haven't lived anywhere else. I have lived in Winnipeg the entire time and, and just love all the freedoms and rights that are here. That's very different from a developing country. And uh, so, so I'm glad I'm here. I'm really grateful to my parents that they immigrated here and brought my the, the family here because it's 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 been a good life, a mm -hmm. really really good life. That's not that's not the first time actually that we've heard from some of our other um, guests who came from other countries. Jen Holness, Rhonda McEwen, both said that you know when they came from uh, Jamaica and Trinidad that they felt as well that they were different, and it was the first time in their lives that they had felt 
different or othered. And so I'm curious about, you mentioned your parents and I know that you had a, a huge family with eight kids in the family, um, but what were your parents' reactions to this and how did they guide you through this time? Were you able to express that you were feeling um, you know, different or, or uh, like a um, lack of self-worth or were they able to guide you? Not really, because uh, at the time when we, my family immigrated here, so five brothers, uh, two sisters, so there's family of eight, and it's all about survival. Mm. And it's the culture shock and having to make sure food is on the table and we're all properly clothed and that we're going to school. And, and my, my father shared many stories about working three jobs and, and, and my mother as well. So with this large family, there isn't time to really focus on feelings. <laughs> you know, how's everyone feeling? It's, are you fed? Are you clean? School starts at 8.30, make sure you get there, make sure you're back at this time. It was just about getting through the day and and really the best way to describe it is survival mm -hmm. um so no i can't remember ever talking to anyone about how my feelings or no no not at all so i would say i've shared in other interviews that i didn't like school at all and right through until high school i i didn't like it it wasn't until i started my post-secondary education that i began to enjoy the love of learning and education because before it was just oh can I get through it was all about getting through the day mm. lots of I can remember lots of racism lots mm. of the n-word as I said before and and just not just having this strong sense of being on the outside of something I wasn't sure of mm -hmm. and not like you said your other uh, um, guests have said not being able to just quite pin it down. Mm -hmm. And since then, I have um, I'm part of a group called the uh, Canadian Black Parliamentarians um, Group Council, and the lead is out of Nova Scotia. And so, a couple of years ago, we all came together in Halifax for our for a meeting, and they showed a video called. Um, a Girl Like Me. It was a documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but mm -hmm. oh, it's powerful. It's, it's and, and in the documentary, they do a study with, with young girls, like three or five years old and the dolls. So it's all about this study with the dolls and it's a white doll and a black doll. And they're asking this child, um, which doll is good? And the child points to the white doll and they said, and they asked many questions about the doll. And, then, and it's, a, it's a black child. It's black girls that they're doing this study with. And then they say, okay, which doll looks most like you? And all the negative things that they ascribe to the black doll, when they touch that black doll, they realize that is the doll that looks most like me. Mm -hmm. So the documentary is so powerful in terms of internalized racism. Mm -hmm. how you internalize it to yourself and how early it starts in your development. And so, you know, it's even now I'm still learning about those feelings from when I was younger and what was happening for me at that time. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, the early years were, were, were very troubling for me mm -hmm. and um, yeah, very at times debilitating in terms of my 
potential and ability to move forward in my career. It's, it's heartbreaking to think that, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's really heartbreaking. And, and your experience is not unlike the experience of other Black Canadians who are pigeonholed in the education system and in some way or another given messages that they, they can't keep up or that they're not as smart. And, you know, we had, Julie mm -hmm. talked about some of other, other guests. We had Paulette Senior, who's also an mm -hmm. immigrant from Jamaica. She had the same experience. She came here and right away was all of a sudden put into classes that were considered, you know, um, this, the classes that needed extra support. And, um, you know, the doll study, it's so interesting because Amy Cuddy did a similar one with, with female dolls, you know, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, you're, you're nodding your head, but just, you know, dolls taking up space and then ask little girls and little boys who gets, who, which doll is the male doll, which doll is the female doll. And everyone said the doll that is in the expansive, powerful position is, is the male doll, you know, <laughs> and the female doll is always in this diminutive, contracted position. And, you know, it, it really just speaks to the, you know, you talk about internalized racism or internalized sexism. And when you've got both those things combining <laughs> the challenges of it. And so how did you, you know, you mentioned that it did affect your confidence. And so how did you find that ability? Look where, look where you are now, you know, in your beautiful pink. Blazer. Oh, thank you. you. Find that ability <laughs> to overcome that. You know, I, I think it's one of the things I was blessed with, like my parents are amazing. My father died three years ago on Remembrance Day, like right on Remembrance Day. And I said, he did that on purpose. So I'd never forget. Um, and he, I had an amazing father. And he was a, he constantly reminded me of who I was and who I am, and, and just always encouraged and guide, like my father was a, a huge promoter of education. So when we were in Jamaica, my siblings that are older than myself, they were all in boarding school or private school, like my father would work around the clock to make sure we they went to the best schools. So the, the three children that um, are sort of the, <laughs> the lower end of, of the family, we, we, we were educated here. And so my father, I think in the back of his mind felt that we lost out somehow mm -hmm. in terms of the, the strength of our education. So he always pushed us mm -hmm. like you, education is a great equalizer. No one can take from you what you have in your head. Um, if there's a ladder to climb, climb it. Like these were constant sayings that we heard around the house and we were pushed. In, in a matter of fact, most of my, my nieces and nephews are PhDs, like they're like, he just pushed education. And so my father helped me a lot. So even when I started my post-secondary education and started first with certificates, because I'm testing the water, I don't really want to do a degree. And then I did really well. He'd say, okay, now let's do the undergraduate degree next. And if, if my father was alive now, I would be a PhD already. <laughs> like he, <laughs> it was just an absolute must. And so he helped me a lot in terms of reminding me of my potential. And then there are mentors that I had along the way that, that, that I saw that just excelled in, in, in their careers or in their chosen occupations. And I, and I thought, wow, there are some movers and shakers out here. I could be one of those. But it took a long time. Like I'm always honest with people that um, the real breakthrough came when I did my master's program. 
because that I was so afraid to do it because I was sure I would fail. And um, I met some amazing uh, professors. Uh, we had CEOs that came and spoke to our MBA classes and it just exposed me to this huge world. And because I was so afraid to do my MBA, when I started to do well, it, 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 I started to gain confidence that I didn't have before. And I don't want to put the message out there that your confidence is going to come from education and nothing else, because that's not, I'm just telling my story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really helped me because I, I won some competitions while I was in the MBA program that I never in my wildest dreams would have thought I could ever have, have won. And, and the, the professors were amazing in terms of their encouragement of me. And that's when I started to make the breakthrough. But before then, I would say I was, I was maybe I, I appeared on the outside to be very confident and put together, but I wasn't. I didn't believe in myself or my abilities. And after my MBA, that's when the doors started to open. Mm-hmm. I hear you saying not only was it education, but it, it's also that you had this opportunity and exposure, right? Not everybody mm-hmm. gets an opportunity to be in their MBA, but also then be exposed and meet these, you know, potential mentors or people who that they can look up yes. to. So I'm yes. curious about who your other role models and mentors are. And, you know, we hear that, you know, black girls, black women don't have an opportunity to have these role models to look up to. Um, And so who were your female role models, but also who were your black role models? Well, you know, um, this may sound crazy, but uh, when I, when I think about my role models, it's the historians, like the Viola Desmonds and the Rosa Parks. Like when I read those stories and heard of those stories, I thought, I love women that have guts, <laughs> and you know, and and I, I think about um, our vice president now, and I, I mean, I was featured in a magazine in the Winnipeg Free Press insert of, for International Day, and she was on the cover, and I was inside, and I thought, how do I, how did I get in there? Because I mean, I'm just so blown away by Kamala Harris, like just so blown away, and so it's it's it's. It's all, and it's not just black women. It's it's Caucasian, white women, Asian women. It's just women that are breaking the glass ceiling and are doing amazing things to to elevate other women. So it's it's been like people, the women that are in the caucus with me now, and that share their stories of their beginnings as single moms. Minister Squires talks about finding out she was pregnant at 16, single mom. She talks about uh, living on food stamps and, and welfare. And now she's this amazing, strong, beautiful, confident person. So it's just all these positive energy, the two of you, right? Wow. <laughs> so, you know, so it, it's been just a, a real awakening for me. I, I'm, I'm a little sad at this stage of my life too, because I'll say to my husband, why did I find myself so late in my life? Because I would have loved to have done so much more. You're still young. Uh, 
You're still young. I don't know. Time. I don't know. I'm getting pretty, <laughs> I'm getting pretty tired. So <laughs> <laughs> you might need a break. You might need a break. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I get that, and I think you know the the young women born today are inheriting a, a slightly better world, you know, an improving world, thankfully. Um, but, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why Julie and I wanted to start this podcast, because so many women of our generation, you know, we're in our mid to late 40s and, and older, we haven't received the same messages of empowerment growing up, you know, when we were very young. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons because, um, you know, we think it's not too late, <laughs> you know, it's not too late, you know, it's all hands on deck right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, so we'd love to hear a little bit about your work um, in government Mm -hmm. um the minister of mental health wellness and recovery yes and so tell us a little bit about that portfolio is it a new portfolio so this portfolio is new it was created uh, when i was appointed the minister on january 5th it's the first time in the history of the province that we've had a standalone ministry dedicated to mental health addictions and wellness and recovery uh, we don't have the title addictions in the ministerial title because we're very much focused on moving people through the journey of, of healing and, and recovery and hope, right? So we're not as, as focused on, on the uh, putting out there the treatment side, but how do we get you to recovery? Uh, so the ministry is, is new. It's, we are the second province in Canada to have this standalone ministry with a dedicated minister. So there are some that have associate ministers, but we are the second to have a full ministry with a minister. And um, so we are focused on developing a mental health and addictions plan for the entire province, as well as a service delivery model. We are going to be very much redesigning the way mental health and addiction services are provided in the province. So we are guided by a document called the Virgo Report that was written and submitted to government back in 2018. And that report brought forward 125 recommendations about changes that needed to be made to the system. So we are working through those recommendations at the same time that we're talking to stakeholders and building this new plan for how services will be provided. And we're trying to do all of this in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where individuals are struggling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the loneliness, the isolation, the lack of social contact, the fear around um, getting the COVID um, uh, virus. And so it's just amplified for people who were struggling before, amplified those issues. So at the same time that we're trying to, to build the plane, we're flying it at the same time by bringing online new programs and services to support people in the immediate state that they're in. And uh, so certainly very much needed. The ministry is very much needed, uh, but it's a really difficult time for, for everyone. So mm -hmm. pulling the ministry together, hiring the leadership staff and continuing the, the, the work that we've been asked to do. So can you speak a little bit about the different components of what it is that you do? Because I heard you speak before about, you know, the, the mental health component, which we all know exists, and it's, it's worse than we think, and we don't treat it properly, right? We're not treating it, it there's this huge stigma around mental health yes. issues, but the wellness component being about prevention. Yes. So, so, you know, oftentimes, 
we just put this bandaid on it and, you know, we'll get the medication or get the therapy, but what do we do about the wellness part, the, the prevention part? Okay. That's a really, really good question, Julie. So one of the things that thrilled me when I was told by the premier of the appointment was when he said the word wellness, because I worked in, in the health sector for 10 years before coming to this position. And the programs that I worked with, I was focused on improving the health system or what I call going upstream and doing prevention work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it was Desmond Tutu that said, we spend so much time pulling people out of the river instead of going upstream to prevent them from falling into the river in the first place. Mm. And so, so the wellness side of it is about that prevention. It's about developing the diabetes strategy so that we can stop the prevalence of diabetes downstream in older individuals. So we go upstream. How can we, how can we change um, health habits for young people? So it's all of that upstream work. It's looking at working with primary care physicians to identify individuals that are at risk of developing an addiction, at risk of developing a chronic mental health condition. How do we identify those risks and help the individuals at the early stage? So before the, the, their condition becomes chronic. So that part of the portfolio really excites, well, all of it excites me, but, but I love doing prevention work. And by having this standalone ministry, we now elevate that part of the health portfolio that was very much buried within that larger, just huge, huge uh, portfolio of health. So we pulled those sections out and said, let's focus on them. Let's spend time on them. So that work will be very a big part of of my mandate as as the minister as well that's I mean that's really exciting to hear because Julie and I we own a yoga studio and so you know uh and we we Julie started a fundraiser raising funds for for CAMH and so mental health and well-being has been something we've we've really been focused on but also just seeing things like um you know meditation and community and simple practices like that as ways to support our overall well-being and prevent, you know, um, more drastic um, and dire mental health implications mm-hmm. later on. And so, does it mean reallocating funding to more preventative stuff? And what kind of stuff might that might, might that be? So, so one of the things I'm going to do while I'm the minister, and it will be starting very early, so sometime this fall is carrying out a year of consultations with service delivery organizing. We're not going to do another Virgo report. This is now 40,000 feet. How do we redesign the system? And talking about what programs do we need to bring online that we haven't focused on enough? So this is, I I haven't made any commitments to anyone, but just an example. Edmonton has uh, launched some programs for outdoor um, gyms. It's called outdoor gyms, I, I think it is. And so it's basically, a, a, it's like a gym, an indoor gym, but it's outside. Mm. And for individuals who don't want to be indoors at a gym, but like to go for a walk and then maybe do a couple of uh, pull-ups, like I just think what Edmonton has done is great. And things like meditation and yoga and I, I want to do some no box thinking about what wellness means. And it's not, it's not what we thought it was before. It's mm-hmm. changed. Times mm-hmm. have changed. And so we are evaluating 31 of the programs that we currently fund. 
And that uh, preliminary evaluation will come to me in August. And I will look at the effectiveness now of these programs in terms of helping people to get better and, and really evaluating what do, what do I want to go to the market for in terms of this ministry and who can provide that? Because wellness is the focus of wellness has changed. And for some individuals, like you said, it could be meditation, it could be yoga. So why aren't we supporting that type of wellness? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to change the definition of wellness in terms of the programs we support. So really hoping to turn things on its head in the, in the next little while. And it may mean funding new programs and defunding um, other programs. So new investments, reinvestments, scaling up what's working, not doing what wasn't working. So, and that's what I've done in most of the positions that I've worked in. I've gone in and looked at how the organization needs to change. And, and we definitely need to change in terms of modernizing the services that we provide. So stay tuned for lots of really great announcements. Well, that all sounds so amazing. And we know that nothing changes overnight, although our whole world did change overnight. Um, but that we agree, Liz and I have talked about this a lot recently, which is, you know, the world did a big change. Therefore, we are different as well. And so we need to accommodate that. We need to figure out ways to do that. And I'm just so impressed with your uh, generosity of spirit, uh, with your dedication, with your, you know, even, even going into this field in government. And I just want to know where this, like, I don't know, giving back and generosity comes from you, within you, where you're inspired from to do this. Uh, thank you for, for saying that. Um, you know, I, I really love to help people and, and, to, to see people succeed and thrive, not survive, but thrive mm. and really excel. And, you, you know, one of the things we talk about in mental health and addictions is that the, the mental health and addiction that a person is, is struggling with is a symptom of a problem. And so we need to trace back to the source of that problem. And I think about myself in terms of how I felt in my early years and how the way I thought about myself was just about this sense of not being of worthy or of self, good self-worth. And, and when that was removed, I was able to begin to, to, ex, to achieve my potential. And I think about how many people are just struggling with trauma Mm-hmm. that is preventing them from living these full rewarding lives. And, I, and I'm not saying that I'm the answer to their problem, but I can light a fire in a dark place of their life mm-hmm. that then can begin to glow and grow and right fill, fill the world. And so my job is not to, I don't see, I know one day I'll be shuffled to another portfolio. And so my job is just to begin the change and take it to a point where it cannot be reversed. Uh, so so, so I, I really am committed to helping people. And I see this as being a, a tremendous opportunity. And I didn't share, but my family has personally been impacted by mental health and addictions. 
And I remember the struggles that we went through to access care and to identify the services and programs that we could, we could benefit from. And I think, oh my goodness, I'm not the, I'm, we're not the only family that experienced that. There's thousands of other people. And so what can I take from what I experienced and create a better system? Mm-hmm. So for the time that I'm here, I'm very, my, my team has a hard time with me <laughs> mm-hmm. because I, I, I'm very intense and I'm intense about helping people. And uh, so I, I'm always pushing them really, really hard to, to help people. And I'm not sure, I, I really think it comes from what, from my own experience and how if I had, I just keep thinking, if I had someone who made a change to the system that benefited me back then, what would I have done at this stage of my life? Mm. And one so, of the questions we love to ask our guests, normally we ask it at the end, but it seems like a good time right now. <laughs> we, we love to ask, you know, what would you say to your 15 year old self? So what would you have said to your 15 year old self? You know what I would have said to my 15 year old self that, um, that, that, I'm unique and special and worthy and awesome and capable of doing anything you put your mind to, uh, write your goals down, put steps to your goals, find mentors. Uh, I did not take education seriously at all. I did what I was told. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meet a guy, get married, have some kids, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the Caribbean culture is, is very traditional in terms of the roles of men and, and women. So follow your, your, your role and you'll be just fine, but it never felt right for me. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. I, I mean, not, not that I'm saying I, it didn't feel right to be a wife or a mother. I love that. My boys are like my life, but it, I always felt like I was missing out on something. And so what I would say is, I would say to my 15 year old self, you've got to take education more seriously. Because I I think for women, it is so, it's powerful. It it really is. Um, My dad used to say it's a great equalizer. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's, that's very true. So that's just personal to myself that I, that's what I would say to the 15 year old Audrey. (laughs) So I know that you, um, did focus on, you know, getting married and then being a mother first. And that was your primary, you know, setup in your life at that time. And so that ended up leading you to doing all of your education later on in your life. Right. And I think this is such a good story for our listeners because, you know, I'm 48, but I've like contemplated, you know, going back to university for something here and there over the last 10 or 15 years and always have felt like it's too late or, you know, it's too much work or whatever it is. But you were raising your children while you were starting to, you know, find yourself in your career. Can you tell us a little bit about that time in your life? Yeah. So, um, again, my father pushing me to be ed- get education and be educated. And so even while I was raising my, my boys, 
I was doing uh, complete in certificates. It took me 10 years to do my undergraduate degree, okay? <laughs> because I decided I'm gonna be every bit of a mother. Like my boys were, my, my son played provincial basketball. Like they were athletes and they did beavers and swimming and read books and they, they, they're, they're very bright kids. And because I was every bit of a mom and wanted to make sure they had that foundation. And it worked out because it's like we're best friends now they're in their thirties. And, uh, but it was hard like to, to try to complete degrees and, and certificates at this. I can remember sitting in the bathroom on the floor, put in a towel at the base of the door so that the light from the bathroom wouldn't shine through into their bedroom. And I would, I would read late at night. And I tell my boys, and when I was doing my MBA program, at the end of the program, I, I went to school full-time and worked full-time. So I wouldn't recommend <laughs> you know, this to everyone, but um, you do what you have to. You do what you have to. And uh, so it, it was tough. I can remember it was really tough having to study for exams, write papers, making supper at the same time you know um but I got I you get through you get through one of my professors said to me when I went into the MBA program he said if you figured out how to get in here you can you could get yourself through so mm, don't leave no advice. matter what you figured out how to get in here so yeah it's just about getting through and just taking it one step at a time it, it's I mean what you speak to you know, I mean, you've spoken in this episode so far about overcoming internalized racism, but also overcoming the gender conditioning, right? You know, the, the male, yeah. female, traditional gender roles. And so, you know, that, to be honest, that's something I, I still struggle with in my own uh, relationship with, with my marriage, you know, it's because it's just so embedded. And so, you know, was that, how did you get through that part? How did you overcome that? Oh. Oh, I think you better have my husband on that <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm just a very, you know, it's, it, I'm still very much part of that role. Like I still go home in the evenings, make dinner, clean up. I, I do the majority of the housework and all of it's, I think it's just so it's particularly for, um, like my husband was raised in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. He came here when he was 15. So this is the culture that he knows mm -hmm. that women, are, there are these silos for how work is done. Like he's just starting to do the grocery shopping mm -hmm. and, um, and unpacking the dish. It's taken a while. Yeah, it's taken, taken a while, but I think it really helped with the way I raised my boys. Mm -hmm. So my boys were doing laundry at like 10, <laughs> like they're doing their own laundry and they have chores and they help to put away the grocery. And so I I raised them in this way of this is how it's done, guys. So it's really helped my husband, too, but he's not full circle at all. He hasn't come full circle. No. Um, we're all a work in progress. For sure. We all are. Right. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. it. 
in my marriage, it's sometimes it's him and sometimes it's me just because, you know, that's how I was raised. We're both upholding it in some way. Yes. And we're both yeah. dismantling it at the same time. But yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. You mentioned your, you mentioned your uh, boys are athletes and you put them through, you know, like giving them everything that they could possibly have. Right. We all want to be able to provide for our children kind of better than what we came from as well. Mm-hmm. But you were also uh, athlete. You're huge into sports right? And still oh. continue to be huge into sports. <laughs> yep. But we read that you, um, in high school, you were a cheerleader. And, yes. you know, anytime you join a team, or you're involved in a sport or an activity, there's always stuff that you gain from that, right? And that you take with you. Do you think that any of that um, camaraderie or cheerleading or being able to express yourself in that way contributed to your ability to sort of move through your imposter syndrome that you you felt Mm -hmm. so certainly it took it was able to bring me through high school because I that's when I started to form that sense of belonging of being part of a team part of a group we all hung out together went to basketball games to cheer lead together then we all went to this person's house we so finally there was that sense of I'm part of something mm-hmm. because before I I joined the cheerleading squad I had tried out for every team at my high school, every one of them, I never made any team. So it was always that, okay, so I don't belong to anywhere. And um, after I I finished cheerleading in high school, I actually went on to cheerlead it with the CFL. So it was just something I enjoyed so much that group feeling and and it brought me right um, in touch with what I love, which is sports, right? So, so very much enjoyed that and used that same type. I was actually the head cheerleader at, for the CFL squad. Oh, so it, it really taught me how to build a team, how to keep a team together, uh, uh, how to build harmony amongst the team members, which is a lot of what I do right now with, with my team here at the ledge and in my constituency. So it, it really helped me when I, when I found out I made the team in, in high school, it really, really helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. You, there's so many different experiences where it just seemed you were born or driven to be a leader, you know, oh. head tier leader there. We had researched and heard that you wanted to be the CEO of a hospital yes. and now, you know, a minister. And so, you know, and I wonder if that's what the, the gender stereotyping, if that was kind of what you were rebelling against, you know, there's a leader totally. in you, a strong leader in you. And so do you think about leadership? And if so, what does leadership mean to you? Um, you know, when I think about leadership, I think about inspiring people and, and ensuring that people reach their full potential. You're a good leader when the people around you are excelling, Mm -hmm. when they're growing, when they're developing, when they are are doing the best that they can do at what they do. It's not about holding, you know, I found that so much in my career that the leaders that I, I, I'll give you a good story. Um, When I was with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, I wanted to be a CEO of a hospital and um, a position had come up that would take me to that level at some point. And so someone that I knew very well from even my time in government was a senior official with the WRHA. And I wrote to the individual, a man, and I said, 
what do you think I would really like to apply for this job? And I still have his response to this day. He said, don't you think that's a leap? And I remember how hurt I was by that. And so when I think about leadership, it's not about telling people what they can't do. It's about inspiring, empowering, developing that person to get them there. Now you're a leader. Uh, It's about a vision. It's about passion and and kindness and compassion. It's about all of that. And it's not about holding people down and saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure you never get to where I am, mm-hmm. you know, or, or make sure that you better not show any signs that you might be wanting my role one day. No, it's just the opposite. I, I tell my team, bring it every day, bring it every day, 150%. I'm good to go. Um, I'll match your intensity. We'll take it up another notch, but bring it every day. And so that's what leadership for me is about. It's like, for example, my team today brought in Indian food for Mother's Day and cupcakes from one of the local bakery. And they said, because I had done this a few months ago, and they said, well, we want to help with building the team too. Mm. See? Yeah. You see? So you role model what you want in your environment. And then other people follow suit. They go, oh, that's how we build team, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not about saying, I want to be the only one who brings the food in for the group or the cupcakes, and you will not do that because I'm the minister. It's about modeling Mm -hmm. team. It's about modeling um, kindness and compassion so that people around you start to do the same. But there's a lot of fear and insecurity in a lot of people who are leaders and, and you don't lead by fear and mm-hmm. insecurity. You don't, um, that doesn't de- develop the people around you. So that's what I think of when I think about leadership, it's yeah, just bringing it every day into and making sure your team feels the same way. <laughs> well, I, I don't live in Manitoba, but if I did, I'd be <laughs> at my boat. <laughs> It's true. I just finished uh, listening to actually a Brene Brown podcast about armored leadership versus daring leadership. And so what you're speaking of is exactly daring leadership. And I feel like we need more of you to just sprinkle around um, all over the place. But there's so many things that you've said here today that are inspiring just to me individually in, in my own work and my own personal life and that I can, you know, sort of take these little tidbits and put to work and, and, and really, I don't know, they're tangible and they're, 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 they're things that I feel like I can just, I'll just go write them down right now. And I'll be like, okay, here's my checklist of to do's. And so what else can you say to women who are struggling as you did with your own self-worth, your own self-confidence? What are some more sort of tangible tips that you can give them out there, particularly for the women who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s that are looking for their afterglow? Yeah. So, you know, I've talked a lot about the obstacles and the roadblocks in my development and in my career. And in many cases, it was it was me. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this in mental health and addictions about tracing these symptoms to the root cause. And there's a lot of stigma around seeking help for just the way you feel, you know, and, and talking to someone. And so I would really encourage uh, 
women who are sort of wanting to get just a notch up or over the top to seek help and, and, and talk through your emotions and how you're feeling. Like it's a mental health week this week. And it's the, the theme is understanding your emotions, the hashtag get real about how you feel and, and, and talking and, and seeking professional guidance and help seeking mentors and I was on a podcast earlier this morning with a women's group from IG Wealth Management. And I said, let's be clear that for a woman, mentors do not have to be, does not have to be other women. I have amazing mentors in my life right now that are men. And um, they've just been really great at, at helping me adjust to this new life as a minister and being in politics. And, and so I would say, reach out for help, mm. get a coach, mm. get a coach, a mentor, read books, listen to podcasts, uh, listen to talks by other women. Like I have a friend that travels, not during the COVID, but traveled all over the world to hear different women speak. And I just thought, wow, that's so amazing. Yeah. And, and so just hear from other people about their life and, how they they broke through the the challenges and the obstacles but definitely I would say if I had been exposed to counseling or a psychologist very early in my development I I think I would have had a breakthrough much sooner Mm -hmm. much sooner so it's just I really want to work at reducing the stigma around people asking for help Mm-hmm. Particularly women, right? Women yeah. seem to struggle the most with reaching out and asking for help. And we think we should be able to do it all and we should do it all ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to look like we're not the superhero moms or superhero mm-hmm. women and, and good at everything we do, right? Yeah. And that's what I talked about at the pod, the podcast this morning is they were asking me about balance. And I said, let's be real here. There are times my life is completely out of balance. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Because I know that I'm going to write that very at some point. But at the time when it's out of balance, I, I don't beat myself up and say, oh, well, why haven't I exercised? Oh, well, I used to be a size four, but now I'm at that. Like, I don't do any of that. This is me. This is how it is for now. And I'm very accepting of that. And I told them that there are times I'm juggling a lot of balls and they all fall to the ground. Because mm-hmm. people need to hear the truth that... Um, life isn't is isn't always it's not about perfection it's Mm -hmm. about being real that's why the hashtag get real for mental Mm -hmm. health week because there's a lot of people out there showing you know it's like my husband came running home the other day and he said Bill Gates and his wife are divorced. <laughs> I know, this is shocking. It was, that was shocking to me. They're like the perfect couple. 27 <laughs> years, billions of dollars. And I said, but it's not like it's, it, they're just like us. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. There's just these fantasy worlds and lives out there. And it's, it's not, that's not getting, getting real. Mm-hmm. It's, they have struggles like everyone else. They have disagreements and are not sure if they're growing together or growing apart. Like there has to be more talk um, by individuals in different sectors and different positions about the challenges they've overcome. Mm. Yeah. You know, I have on my coffee table at home uh, a book 
everything I've ever learned, wanted to learn about marriage. And it's a compilation of different stories from couples married for six months, two years, five, 40, 50. And you read this book and you think, oh my gosh, how did they stay married? Because they, it, so you see, this is what couples go through and mm-hmm. they, they survive it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, it's a re, I give it to all my friends that are getting married <laughs> because I think it's a good read that you are going to hit some landmines that you just will throw you for a loop. But um, so it's about getting real yeah. and talking about how you feel as women and seeking help if that is what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you know, if there's something that is, is inspiring or fulfilling to you mm-hmm. and you need support to overcome the doubt, you know, that likely mm-hmm. was could have been wired in during childhood, then get the support so that you can, you know, reach towards thriving, right? That life right. of thriving and fulfillment and joy. Yeah. And so we, you know, we'd love to ask you, we know you're in politics right now and you're focused <laughs> on your role, but, you know, we like to ask our guests, what's your afterglow? And so, you know, at some point in the future, is there something exciting or compelling, a future vision that you would really love to work towards for yourself? I, I've only shared this with my husband. Oh, okay. This is going to be good. <laughs> this is really good. So um, I, I've, I've always in the back of my mind wanted to, um, complete a, a PhD in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. So um, after being in this role, just for the short period of time, I thought maybe, you know, this is something I might want to do afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, PhD in clinical psychology and possibly open my own, mm-hmm. um, my own, um, I don't know, counseling firm or or clinic but I wanted geared to when I was telling my husband this he says aren't we retired and traveling (laughs) I said but you can I don't have to open the door every day um but I wanted geared towards of course women from racialized groups from marginalized groups and and what has actually happened, just so I can tell you the story, is that since I've been in this role, women from from many different backgrounds and walks of life have been reaching out to me mm-hmm. for actually, I have a little, see, my husband says, where are you going today? I said, I need to go and talk to someone. They need a bit of support. And it's women that are sometimes newcomers to the province or have been in domestic violence and are just trying to find their way and get their foot in again. And they need someone to talk to that they can trust and know that they're in a safe space. And there's lots of services available. And I don't do this as a minister, I just do it as another human being and have been really helping several women. And I said to my husband, you know, I might want to open my own agency. Down the road and com- complete my my clinical psychology and and just make that space available not just with myself but with other uh, women counselors and mentors and advocates for women. Um, so he said, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and and I said, "I might even want to start my psych- my clinical psychology program while I'm the minister." <laughs> and he said, "Oh, so like when would you do that?" I said, "There's always time. There's always time." So that's something I have in the back of my mind. I would love to be a grandmother as well. Mm. 
Uh, my two pressure, boys point to boys. each other. Whenever yeah. I say that, they point to each other and they say, mom's talking about you because they don't show any. Yeah, they're, the, this generation is very different from mm-hmm. my time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boys are very focused on like excelling in business and sports and yeah, so it's been an interesting time, but I'd love that. But yeah, that's sort of what I'm thinking in the back of my mind I might do. I don't know when, but I'd like to do that. Yeah, that's a beautiful afterglow. I'm, I mean, I'm just thinking about your afterglow and this, the conversation we had about leadership. And I kind of feel like, you know, you mentioning Kamala Harris, like, I feel like mm-hmm. prime minister might be in there. I know. For you. Like, I feel too. like oh if we think about like what kind of leader we would need in this country who oh. prioritized mental health, rejigged the whole system, had a PhD in psychology. Like imagine <laughs> how seamlessly the country oh, really? would run. So oh. I am <laughs> nominating Minister Audrey Gordon. Oh, that's so minister. nice of you. Um, I'm nominating but... you. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, just so many incredible um, offerings that you've given us today. And I'm sure that our li- listeners are just going to, benefit so much from, you know, your story of overcoming and learning and getting rid of that, you know, self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, and, and the story about sort of how long it took you to find who you are, who you're yourself, and then now what your dreams are for your future, like you, there's still more time, there's still yeah. time. And I, I love that you've so. said that. I love that you said there's always time. Yeah. But that's one of the things that we say about the afterglow is that there's still time. So Thank you so much for joining us today. And for, um, I just feel like it's been like a little celebration of everything that you've accomplished. Thank you. Thank you. And the opportunity has just been amazing to, to talk with you. And I didn't get to hear very much about the two of you, but, but I, I read, mm-hmm. um, I, and I, I'm just so, this is just so that you've created this space. This is what I'm talking about. Imagine if we had this in met all over, the world right and it's about networks and those connections that women have so please stay in touch with me <laughs> and uh as as this ministry unfolds and my work i'd love to talk with you again and uh you know all the best in in what you do and and just keep being inspirational and motivational and powerful women because we need more of you <laughs> oh thank you we, so we love much. that we love that minister gordon thank you you're you're a real gem this is beautiful oh, as julie you. said she captured it all this was truly inspiring thank you thank you This is just a reminder to let you know that the Richards Group, uh, located in the Toronto Beaches area, is working really hard right now to make sure that everything is set up for your moving needs. So if you're looking for an agent that encompasses everything, look no further than the Richards Group. That's a wrap for this episode of The Afterglow. Yet another courageous Canadian sharing her vision. Do us a favor and lift a sister up by sharing this podcast with others who want to find their afterglow. And let us know, what do you want to hear about? Who do you want to hear from? And what is your afterglow? Slide on into our DMs at The Afterglow Podcast Official and leave us a message. Did you love this podcast? 
Be sure to like and rate us on Spotify and iTunes and wherever you tune in. Until next time.